continue listening to part four of four with Dr. Justin Blaney and your host, Elizabeth Cunningham. I, I mean, but I do think some opinions are more worth listening to than others, or some are more timely. Some, some need to be listened to more at different times. Like, so for example, if you have like a billionaire and a, and a homeless person and the homeless person says it really sucks to not have have money you know i can't pay my bills and money is really frustrating and then the billionaire is like well i have an equal voice in that and i, I find money to be frustrating too and it can be a real pain in the ass and i have a lot of problems with money too it's like they both have a voice and they both maybe have an opinion but that homeless person's voice and opinion needs to be listened to more urgently you know, so I do think that there's like, because it's it's interesting, like with with free speech and some of these different things that we, I think we can go too far to say like, like I don't know, I don't think every voice deserves a platform, perhaps, because some voices are hateful, or, um, or ignorant, like based on things that are simply not factual. So I think that kind of does complicate things. Um, but I don't know if that's off track or not from our conversation topic. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't, I definitely don't disagree with you. Like that in certain circumstances, it's like, okay, it definitely makes sense to pay attention to one, one point of view versus the other point of view, given the context of the situation, right? Dealing with you know, money and equity, it's, it's way more uh, pertinent to listen to people who don't have money rather than people who are really well off, right? Um, but I, I feel like inside of conversations that like are hateful, um, that even though it's difficult to hear and to have those conversations and that and I'm definitely not saying that we should like give people um, who are really hateful, like large platforms to, to talk. Um, I think one of the things that's really great about freedom of speech and being able to, to have those voices in some capacity is the ability for the rest of us to see other points of view that mm -hmm. are there so that we can address those things, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Because like, even in, again, going back to just like all the way down to individual relationships, even when, you know, you have a partner that says something that is maybe even personally offensive to you, it's still good that they said that thing because now you can talk about it. You know, and maybe you break up because of it. Like maybe it's like, wow, it's just such a disparate way of thinking that it's like, it doesn't actually work for us to be in a relationship anymore. But now you're, you're acting off of something that's true instead of hiding something because it might rock the boat. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. like, yeah. So so it's not that, you know, I would want to amplify voices of hate, but I definitely don't want to stifle them either. Like if there's people out there who have the- They need to be, well, free speech needs to be possible. Because yeah. if you take away one thing, 
you know, a person should be allowed to be an asshole or an idiot with their speech, I think. But, and then, and then we should also be allowed to tell them they're an asshole and an idiot or, um, you know. Yeah, but then we can actually talk about it, right? We're like, oh shit, well you think that, you know, black people are inferior to white people. Well, let's talk about that. Cause that that's detrimental yeah. to what we're trying to do here. <laughs> so, right, right. You know? Yeah. And although again, it's it's not that it's not that easy. It's not like you just be like, oh well that's that just doesn't seem to work. Let's talk about that, you know, like <laughs> like that's <laughs> like that's probably not how the conversation is gonna go. <laughs> yeah. Um but it's like, but you can actually start addressing um, what's actually there. Uh, I really love, uh, oh man. Uh, do you, do you, do you know the person's name who had, uh, he, it's a black gentleman who, um, had different conversations with people in the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and mm, then I heard on, that story. Yeah. And then it was like, I, I might be butchering it a little bit, like, cause I'm a little fuzzy on the details. Um, uh, but it was like, there was the, the leader of the Ku Klux Klan who, you know, 15 years after having this conversation with this black man, this black man was like, I want to have, you know, interviews with people in the Ku Klux Klan just to talk, just to like, I have this point of view, you have this point of view, I have this point of view, you have this point of view. And Mm -hmm. just to talk and just to discover like, you know, what, what the other person was thinking. And, you know, 15 years after this conversation, this for, this leader of the Ku Klux Klan um, quit, resigned, mm. and was like, because he saw the humanity of this Black man that he had had this conversation with, and he couldn't ignore that he saw his humanity, and that he was another person just like him. Yeah. And I think that that's really powerful. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we just need to talk about things and that even if we don't want to see something that it needs to be talked about because it shows people's humanity and that we can all start to see each other as human. If we look from that viewpoint, right? If we look from the viewpoint of we're all human and this is another human having an experience and I can empathize or sympathize with them because this person is a human just like me. You know, that we can, that that seems to be the common thread for lessening these like polarizations is seeing each other's humanity because it's, it's got to break at some point. You know, you brought up these, the polarization that's just been growing and growing and growing in our country, but there, there has to be a breaking point mm-hmm. at some point. And yeah. like, I don't know what that's going to be or look like, but it's, it's gotta, it's gotta break at some point. Cause mm. it just doesn't work, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I see having a conversation about our humanity being one of the conversations to bring us back together like hey we're all humans having a human experience let's talk about it 
you know, mm -hmm. let's all see our experiences as valid yet different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're struggling in a, I, I was trying to think of like, what's where the struggle comes from. And I think the struggle is that we're trying to evolve as a species, which is a hard thing to do. But I, was, I think about like, um, evolution does not lead to fairness, to equality. Um, evolution is survival of the fittest. If, if I can survive and if I have to kill you to do so, then that's normal. That's evolution. If I have to steal or take, those things are natural um, instincts for our own survival. Uh, we also did evolve with an instinct uh, for our tribe to, to be successful because we need groups of people to survive, you know, in the past against uh, the, the elements or attacks from animals and, and other things like that. Um, so what we're trying to do, like if we're, if we're going to say uh, that we want to listen to people and empathize with them and love people that are different than us and all of these different things, even be happy. We're, we're essentially like hacking uh, our humanity and trying to rewire it in a way that we think is better. And to me, that's evolution. I think that in time, we, I, I believe and I hope that we as a species will move beyond uh, many of these, these things that are holding us back. And if we do, it will be because we evolved as a species, because it, it's not natural. Obviously, the natural thing is to hate people that are different than us, because that's what's so common. Like, that's what we naturally do. Um, you know, as much as one side hates the other, the other side often hates the other back just as much. Like, in, in both sides think that they're righteous, and neither one of them needs to necessarily be uh, doing that, if we can join together as a species and evolve to the next level, you know, on Maslow's hierarchy, it's called self-actualization. Um, I call it enlightenment, uh, which is where you wake from the dream that evolution has has thrust upon you to to see that there are better and higher ways to live. And so if we want to maximize our life, we have to evolve and we can evolve as a person. And we, because we have this powerful brain, the, our brain is far more powerful than we, than we, the ways that we use it. And we can use it to overcome these instincts that hold us back, like our propensity to hate people that are different. We can overcome that with our conscious enlightened mind to reach a place of greater happiness because hate does not lead to happiness. And so we can take the hate away or we can turn outward or we can, we can kind of do these different things that aren't, aren't really natural, but we can do them. We can choose to do them. We can opt in because they lead to greater happiness. And that's a, a worthy goal, greater happiness for us, greater happiness for others. And so I, but I think that's why it's hard and that's why we're struggling with it. And that's why, it seems to take forever because you know evolution doesn't happen overnight. Um, but what I what I do love is that we actually have the ability. It's like each 
you know, like if you, if you, if you look at evolution, it takes place over hundreds of millions of years. And um, if you were to zoom in on any one point, you might see a couple of penguins sitting on a rock, you know, with their baby. And uh, one of them goes off to get food and then they come back. And that's like a microcosm of that, right? But if you zoom out, you see that that was one tiny piece of this long story that led from point A to point B. And that's where I think each one of us is responsible for the, for the future of our species. Because if we're just that little penguin on the rock, we have to do our part for the species to grow and continue. We have to eat, we have to have a, we have, to have a baby. And, and what we have to do right now for our part is we have to become better people ourselves. And the more people who grow and become more enlightened to these things, the more we will pass that on to the next generation, the more it will spread until it becomes more and more the norm. And it will become something that, that I think, I think I really believe um, that a lot of these forms of bigotry are going to be history at some point. I think we're going to move on from it. I don't, I, it seems like it's going to be quite a while still. I don't know how long, but I think it will happen because I think that that's either we're going to kill ourselves or we're going to evolve. That's the way it's always worked. <laughs> so if, if humanity continues, I do believe it will, it will evolve through this eventually. I agree. And I think that as this is what I see, and I'm interested to see uh, how you how you feel about this as well. Is that I'm I see that bigotry also evolves, right? Like we just have different, you know. There was in you know 1800s. I'll just go back to 1800s. Um, you know, people owned slaves, right? And then all of a sudden, you had a group of people who were like. It, it actually doesn't work to own people. You know, this isn't right. But then you still have the people who are like, no, it totally works to own people. These practically aren't even people anyway. Um, but then, you know, we have the Civil War and then like now, but now we still have, okay, I have to, I have to set my slaves free, but I, then there's Jim Crow laws, mm -hmm. right? And then there's right. the Civil Rights Movement. And then, so it, it it seems as though, like, even though there is an evolution of the species for the positive, there's also this seemingly evolution of bigotry as well. It's like, okay, but so after, like, whatever is the outcome of our current unrest, you know, what will the new bigotry be? Like, yes, there will be a, a higher level of consciousness um and i believe there's there's going to be a higher level of consciousness in the world and how we treat each other and how we see each other after all of this and it's happening right now like that's what we're in the middle of mm -hmm. but i also think that i mean i i don't want this to happen like it would be great if bigotry were just gone um and that we could just all 100 percent of us 7.5 billion of us could see each other as humans um but it seems like that's a really big ask <laughs> <laughs> It's a big ask. I mean, it's, I think in part it's because we, we can't help but see, see the world from our perspective. And from our perspective, 300 years is a really long time. 
And I think, you know, in terms of moving, moving forward in this evolutionary progress, we've gone like one click in the last 300 years, you know? <laughs> and yeah. I do think it's accelerating. Um, it, 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 if you zoom in again on that, you know, if you, if you zoom in on a flat surface, um, a flat piece of metal, it looks like it's got mountains and valleys and, you know, ups and downs and it's crazy. And if you, you know, if you zoom in on that flat surface really closely, but if you step back, you're like, that's flat, it's smooth. I can roll a marble across it or, you know. And so I think that that is in part what we're experiencing. Um, but I don't know, that's, that's, it's very theoretical. I just, I, I think it's important to, I mean, well, and this is also relevant to the conversation. Like I was thinking about love. We talk about love and how important love is. Yeah. We talk about self-love. We talk about loving others. But we, we can, it's important to remember that, like, first of all, what is love? What, why does it exist? Um, it, must, it must exist for a reason. Uh, if, if we believe the principles of evolution, which so far we don't have a better uh, a theory in it that seems to check out, you know, when you think about it logically. But we developed like hands for a reason. I think we developed love for a similar reason. It, it's a tool that was instrumental in the survival and dominant, uh, dominance of our species. And, and so then we say, well, what is, what could that be for? And, you know, obviously it's, um, when we, when we fall in love, we feel infatuated with someone and we want to have sex with them and that produces children oftentimes, <laughs> but it doesn't always, what's interesting is that it doesn't just because that instinct existed and it worked for producing children doesn't mean that we have to only apply it in the way that evolution kind of uses it. And so like a lot of people, you know, would, a lot of people use that, uh, the, the example of like procreation, gotta have a man and a woman. So that proves that, you know, homosexuality is wrong. And it's like, it doesn't prove that at all. All it proves is that you need to have an egg and a sperm to make a baby. <laughs> But yeah, it doesn't that has prove... nothing to do with love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so we, we, you know, we get all this stuff kind of confused and we, we forget that these things existed and were created and evolved um, it, it, by accident. It was like a bunch of random shit was going on. And the people who had this particular set of characteristics were a little bit more likely to survive. It doesn't mean it was moral. It doesn't mean it was good. It doesn't mean it was happy. It doesn't mean anything. It literally just means that the people with that trait survive were more likely to survive. And so like love, I think, um, is something It's important to remember, like, what does it exist for? Because it helps us understand all the baggage that we might put onto it and what, and, and kind of how we should embrace and understand it. And so, uh, now we're trying to use this concept of love, which we have inside of us, which is really uh, chemicals inside our brain washing around. And it's, it's how society has 
domesticated us to feel that when you love someone, this is what that means. It means you do things for them even when you don't like them, or it means um, that you can't stop thinking about them all the time, you know? <laughs> so like we put all this stuff on it, but what it was, you know, it had a, it had an evolutionary purpose. It's important to understand that. And it's also important to realize that we don't have to care about the evolutionary purpose. That's just how it was formed. Now we should be using this thing for whatever we want. And I think a good thing to want to use it for is to increase happiness uh, in, in myself and in others. So it's kind of like a scientific and philosophical meandering path, but I feel like understanding, it's sort of like you need to understand history in order to understand today and the future. It's good to know where these things came from so that we can see, okay, how can we now use that uh, for the maximum possible good in this current moment that we're in? You, me, everybody else that's alive. Um, I don't know, what, what do you think about any of that? Well, I think that, you know, love is a concept, right? And it's, it's a concept that we have created in language. And I think that anytime that you put language to something, it, it limits what that is, right? Especially when it's a feeling that you have, like you can say, you can say the words like, I'm happy, or, you know, maybe even say like, I'm ecstatic, um, or I'm joyful. Like there's so many different words for happiness and that feeling of happiness. So that because we're trying to communicate a feeling, but that word ultimately puts a, puts a shape to something that is shapeless. And I think that the same is with love. And I think that it's, interesting that we only have this one word love um specifically in the english language um because that's the only language that i'm fluent in um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know well like spanish um i know a little bit of spanish um spanish has different words for love um that encompass different like there's a different way to express romantic love than there is to express a love for a parent. Um, and same with uh, like uh, German um, doesn't have like hardly any ways to express love actually. Hmm. Um, and, it's all, and it's also like German culture, it's, it's really weird to tell someone that you love them. Like that's just not a thing that they, hmm. that they do. Um, not saying that like no Germans tell each other that they love each other, but it's just like, it's not as common to like, I tell all my friends that I love them, right? I tell my friends I love them. You know, right, I think it's right. great. We, we've said <laughs> that. Because I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. What, is it, what does it mean? It doesn't, yeah. But, but yeah, so it's like, so, so um, bring, bringing it back, it's just we have this concept of love that we try to express in language. And I think that how we express love in language ultimately falls short of what mm -hmm. it is, which is also why we talk about it so much, you know, because <laughs> it's just like, I just really, I, I haven't found the right way, <laughs> you know, I haven't right. found the way to like communicate 
exactly how I feel um, because it's because it's all conceptual, you know, because no one can have our experience, you know, as much mm -hmm. as I try to communicate, no one is ever going to have the exact feeling and experience that I'm having right now. Mm -hmm. And so when we try to communicate love, ultimately we fall short of that communication. And I think that there is an evolution of, um, of that communication of, of love because, you know, marriage was about property, right? Like mm -hmm. when marriage was created, that, that wasn't about people loving each other at all. That was about, you know, combining wealth and property. Right. Right. Um, and then we added this concept of, of love onto marriage later. And not to say that like people didn't love each other before marriage, like people did, you know, love is something that has been talked about and written about always. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, I think not only, I don't know if I, I'm not sure if love itself is in has been physically evolving inside of us and how we feel it. Mm -hmm. But I think that how we express it is certainly evolving and has been evolving inside of the conversations that we get to have. You know, that's mm -hmm. part of my goal of this podcast that I've, I've literally said and wrote um, uh, is to expand the conversation of love. Hmm. Like in quote, this podcast is to expand the conversation of love because I want to take that concept and that feeling that we have and have it be able to be fully expressed. And I don't even know what that looks like, but that's my mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you're right. The word, um, we have friendship, we have like, like I like this car, I like this person, I'm infatuated, I have a crush, I'm in love, I love. Isn't that funny how in love is different than in love? In love, yeah. But, you know, but what we, but I think you're right, is that we have, in all languages, I think it's really fascinating how some languages don't have words for certain concepts, and yeah. And how we don't have words for certain concepts. And it's, it's, it's certainly language is a, like a very blunt tool to, to describe. We use it to communicate with each other, right? Mm -hmm. And we're trying to describe things that are important to us. But at the root level, every single human, barring, you know, sociopaths and the outliers, <laughs> sure. has, has a, a, a feeling inside mm -hmm. them. And, and we describe it differently. Mm -hmm. And then it, we com complicate it greatly by combining different feelings. Mm -hmm. But we don't necessarily, we don't actually know what's going on. We don't see that little bit of serotonin getting okay. injected into our, our brain or our bloodstream or wherever it goes and a little dopamine. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and the, at the most fundamental level, that's what's really going on. What yeah. we're saying is, Hey, we'd like a little bit more serotonin in our life. You know? <laughs> we, don't, yeah. we don't say that. We, we just want it because it feels good. Mm -hmm. We evolved to want it. And so that's why it feels good. 
because it drove us to make connections with people, which allowed us to survive and, and procreate. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we didn't need those things any more than we need a hand. It's just, right. it was, it was the way that we ended up. And so now we find ourselves in 2020 feeling love or feeling the lack of it when we don't feel it. Why do we miss it so much? It's because we evolved to need it. It's like one of the most critical things that we need. And then, then you tack another layer where we try to describe this whole thing with words. And, and each person has a slightly different idea of what the words mean. And when they say it, they're thinking of something different. And then the other person's interpreting it through a lens. And so you like add layer upon layer of confusion and ambiguity. And that's, you know, where we get into um, a, a lot of trouble, especially especially because we have such, our brains are like way too powerful for our own good. I find it's a lot more interesting and simple to like observe animals. Like I love, there I go using that word, how dogs love. So dogs, are you a dog person? I love dogs. I love animals in general, okay. but yeah, I love dogs. So we all know that dogs love like without condition, right? That's one reason why humans love dogs so much is because they, they adore their masters. They want to adore them. And, and it's a very simple love. They don't have a lot of expectations. They really just want to spend time with you. Like that's it. Right. If they have a bond, that's, so you get to see like this pure version of love and they feel it. Like, you, you know they feel it, but it's a simpler version. And it's um, and because they have a lower brain processing ability, um, they can't pack on a bunch of other stuff that kind of confuses the whole thing. So you see that it's just this dog wants to spend time with this owner. And they evolve to have a very strong sense of love. And that's why they have such an incredible bond with their owners. And, um, and so that's, but it's the same thing in us. We have that same thing, but we also have really powerful brains that can overthink everything. And, <laughs> um, and, and also, uh, we can turn it on and off because our, we developed a higher level conscious power to control the instincts. Um, so I, th- I think it's very interesting because like, because I, I just like knowing what it's there for. And then I want to say, you know, that just because that's how it got started. Now, now that it's inside of us, we can say, well, what's the best way to use that instinct? Should we turn it off? Should we indulge it? Should we um, make more of it that we get to make those decisions because we have the capability because we got a brain powerful enough to make decisions like that. Dogs don't get to make those decisions. Um, so that's where I like the idea of thinking about, I know what love is and now I want to figure out how to, how to use it to maximize happiness in myself and others. Yeah. And I think that, um, going back to the blind spot conversation, because everyone has blind spots in, in all areas. Right. And, um, and asking yourself questions about like these are really great questions to ask like how how do we have more love in in our life you know should we do da, 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 da. and 
you know, I think that in, in discovering this, I, I, I do, I go back to, you know, what's possible. Okay. I know this, like, I know that, um, how love works is that I, I get a, a rush of, of serotonin and, and dopamine and things like that. And that's how it works for everyone. And so how do I, how do I, uh, or not how, like what's possible inside of that? Like, what do I actually want? What's possible? And going back to looking outside of yourself, right? Looking outside of yourself and being like, well, everyone wants that. Like everyone's looking for that. Everyone wants that, you know? Okay. Well now what's possible. And then Mm -hmm. we can start to look at and even deconstruct how we interact with that on Mm -hmm. all of those levels that are mentioned, you know, one-to-one family, community, society, so on and so forth. Right. And, and asking ourselves, you know, what's possible or like, or even why have we put the restrictions? Cause it's all inside of language. If we really get that it's all inside of language, then, you know, why have we put some of the restrictions on love that we mm-hmm. have, you know, like people who don't agree with homosexuality. Yeah. Right? It's like, or why? polyamory or polyamory. People right. say, how can you love more than one person? I'm like, have you ever heard of people having more than one kid? Yeah. Having <laughs> two parents? Two parents, you know? more than one friend, multiple family yeah. members. We, like, so what, what we mean when we say, I don't know if we can have love for more than one person is, I don't know if I can not be jealous of, mm-hmm. you know, my person having someone else, I think is like, but we, we don't describe it that way. We describe it as like, I don't know if we can love more than one person. Because it, because again, our, our thinking isn't necessarily often aligned with reality. We like, this is what's going on. And then our conscious mind kind of like twists it a little bit and (laughs) creates some kind of like story around it that we, that we just accept. Those things are not often very well (laughs) attached. (laughs) What's really happening in the story that we tell ourselves or tell others. 100%. (laughs) 100 <laughs> percent so so much of that and i also think that it's just when we don't ask these questions the jealousy part is definitely like a real thing for sure um it's one part i, I was oversimplifying it but yeah yeah definitely one part for sure but it's also like when we don't ask the question of you know what is possible then we just go with the status quo i feel like that that keeps getting brought up in our conversations you know we, we just go with the status quo we're like we know that, you know, having one partner uh, is a thing that people do and yeah. most people do it. So therefore, it must be the right thing to do. And you just don't even think about, you know, other possibilities. Right. And I think when we give ourselves permission to explore how we feel outside of the constructs that we've already created, then we can discover what's possible we can discover what we want we can discover what makes us happy Mm -hmm. you know because that's that's how i discovered my own sexuality is because i was like dang i'm really not happy inside of what i think i'm supposed to do Mm -hmm. no i'm super not happy inside of just being with one other person and shutting myself off to any other possibilities of of love that i truly feel you know, mm-hmm. I would like truly fall in love with people and then feel like a terrible person 
for loving that person because I'm supposed to just love one person. Right. Right. And I, I even, you know, inside of uh, being attracted to other genders, like inside of the, like the constructs that I'm aware of, you know, and, and not being aware of my own blind spots, me being attracted to other genders for a long time was just like, oh, I really appreciate this person. Like I wouldn't even use the word love or attraction. Hmm. I would use the word appreciate or like, or, you know, admire, you know? And it wasn't until I really started asking these questions about like, what's possible in love? What's possible in my own sexuality? How do I really feel? What really makes me happy? That I discovered that I was like, oh, those feelings that I've been feeling for people have been attraction and desire and like and love but i didn't again it was like inside of that conversation that was really limited that had me yeah. not see it for the possibilities that were there yeah yeah because society steps in and uh society writes songs and they create movies and they write books and all of these things we use as tools to keep our tribe uh, domesticated in the way that our groupthink mentality believes is like uh, the best way for our species to continue. But none of that means that any of it's accurate or based <laughs> on any kind of fact. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way that the story has gone so far. Yeah. Like, I love this idea that people will say, um, homosexuality isn't natural and it's like what are you talking about like we do things that you know like we multi-purpose you know <laughs> like our mouth uh, was made supposedly for eating food but we use it to bite you know the lid off of something or or we <laughs> we use it for sex and it clearly <laughs> isn't part of the procreation process right. it's calling that unnatural you know, it's like, if it's possible in the natural world, it's natural. Yeah. If you can put it in the hole and it fits. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. It's natural. <laughs> it's like, but, but we want to pick and choose and we want to, and so what's really happening is you have like tribal mentalities that are really arbitrarily kind of choosing picking sides or picking issues and none of it again is based on science or fact it's based on this weird conglomeration of like lenses from various people and how they've interpreted all these things and mm -hmm. and who had the loudest voice and that's why you see flows you see at times in the past homosexuality was, was normal you know nobody judged it and then it goes through a time when it's being judged and then it goes through a time it's not being judged it's like that's sort of just like the tribe really not knowing what the fuck it's doing, you know, <laughs> and trying to apply uh, our, all of our subjective craziness onto each other, even though none of us really know that we're doing that. <laughs> we're all just, and that's where, to me, that's why enlightenment is yeah. you rise above all of these forces that are pushing you around that you don't really even know where they're coming from, what they're doing, where they're pushing you to. You rise above that and you say, wait a minute, 
I want to stop and think about all this stuff with my conscious brain. Yeah. And evaluate all these instincts and warring passions and conflicting thoughts and, and all of this. And I'm going to, I'm going to use, um, the most, I'm going to access the most conscious part of my brain possible and actually think about these things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that also inside of that conversation, uh, one of the things, one of the pushbacks that I hear, um, from exploring what else is possible, becoming enlightened, you know, discovering your blind spots, all like however you want to frame it is that people are like, well, I don't want to change. And on one hand, you don't have to, you don't have to change, you know, it's not necessary. Um, Even inside of asking those questions, you don't have to change. Uh, Like one of my silly examples from my life is shaving my legs. Uh, When I went to, uh, and shaving my armpit, shaving my legs, you know, just like in our society, like women shave the hair off their body. Right. Some hair you should, some hair you shouldn't. Right, right. I can't remember. I think I was like either senior in high school or like beginning of college or like somewhere around there, like 18-ish area of my life. Uh, and, uh, and, and I just, I legitimately asked myself, I was like, okay, this is a construct that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Do I want to keep doing it? And yeah. I did. I was like, I totally want to keep doing this. I love yeah. the feeling of shaved legs. I like not having hair under my armpits. I actually think I smell better. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? I don't know if that's true. (laughs) In my opinion. I mean, probably. Right. In my opinion, I'm like, when I have more hair, because I I probably shave my under my armpits like once a week, maybe, you know, like I'm pretty like, you know, not not a stick. Do it if you want to. Don't do it if you don't want to. Totally. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but it's just like when I have more hair under there, I like, I'm like, I feel like I smell worse and then I shave it off. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, you know, but there was a conscious decision about it. It was like, oh wow. Like recognizing like, this is something that I've just been told that I should do. Yeah. Do do I want to, do I not? I don't know. I like to trace it back to like, where, where would that, so the tribe developed that concept from somewhere that right. didn't happen by accident, right? It right. came from somewhere. So it's like, well, where would it have come from? And it gets a little uncomfortable because the only place I can think of that makes sense is that it makes a woman look younger, like, like right. 14 years old. Yeah. And so it's very Freudian, but I think that the tribe invented it because it makes, uh, women look younger and I think that that's what the tribe deemed to be attractive and uh and you have the same thing with men uh with hair like sometimes chest hair is considered gross by a lot of people Mm -hmm. and you know so if you shave it off well what's what's the difference now you look basically younger because you have less hair so Mm -hmm. it's like you know there could be a root behind these um these traditions it's actually kind of gross if you think about it is like right the tribe saying like you should be attracted to young people mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah well and it was it was the same conversation with um like wedding rings you know like we we've both been married and i had lots of conversations about whether or not we should 
have wedding rings because it's just like I mean the it was like people didn't buy diamond rings for each other until what like the 50s or something like that like it was a it was a marketing ploy for like fucking yeah the beers yeah you know like it's not even like it's a pretty new thing to like buy a woman like a huge diamond to propose yeah. her you know yeah. and to have a separate ring to propose and then another one to have their wedding band, right? Like it should have stopped. Should have had three reasons, you know. You get one ring on your first anniversary, you know. Like, why stop with two? No, the and Marketing. there are stuff like there's like anniversary rings, you know. Oh, it's right, all, yeah. it, like it literally is all to make money. And so I was like, okay, but I asked myself the question. I was like, okay, do I want to participate in this, like? marketing ploy (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's good to know where it came from Mm -hmm. and then it's good to allow ourselves to do whatever the fuck we want (laughs) you know because it doesn't matter what the origin is i mean in some cases i i think you could argue in in some cases it does i think with holidays you know i mean that's a completely different tangent but that's why it's good to kind of go back to the beginning and know know the history and then you could decide do I want to be a part of this? Do I care? Is this, is this a moral thing now or does it just not matter and I can do what I want? Right, exactly. And, it, you know, if it were, if it had been a moral issue, then maybe I would have made a different decision because ultimately I did. I decided, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want a ring. Like, give me a diamond. Yeah. Buy it for me. Maybe you know? if they had represented, <laughs> you know, like a, the mark of ownership and like, you know, the man gave the woman the ring as a token that he owned her, that might make differently. But the fact that it was just a marketing ploy, you know, maybe that matters less. Right, exactly. And yeah, and I, I, I completely, again, completely agree. Because yeah, if it would have been like a more, if a moral issue and stuff, and you can also talk about like where diamonds come from and things like that. And that was also something that we considered in our decision and like where we bought the ring from. Yeah, you um, can buy a different kind. There's, there's really beautiful, yeah. um, scientifically created alternatives you know that look even better I mean there's lots of options but again that's why I think it's really good to understand mm-hmm. the, the histories uh, of these things yeah but it's just basically it, just be having that level of consciousness right the level it of allows enlightenment oh yeah exactly yeah without that without that knowledge yeah absolutely and um, oh my gosh I, I just had like three different thoughts. I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that you can, uh, uh, what I love about this conversation, what I love about this conversation um, is just that you can apply that to anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it is just asking those questions. Like, where did this come from? Why, why do, do I feel this? Why do I want this? Right. Why do I want this? Why do I feel this way? Why do I want it? Why, yeah. you know? We could say that about the black, like, if we're resistant to the messaging of Black Lives Matter, yeah. we should be asking ourselves, why are we resistant? And then dig into that until you get to the root. And the root is probably going to be some form of fear about our own self mm. getting shafted in the process. Like, mm-hmm you know, like maybe a lot of white people are comfortable with police killing a few, uh, you know, killing, um, black people as long as they feel protected. And ultimately in the end, 
white people and 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 the, the, I'm hypothetically in one scenario somebody might just be their root feeling like what I really want is to feel protected mm-hmm. if I can feel protected then maybe I'll care about you and your protection but I need to feel protected first and that might be the root of a lot of racism or just turning a blind eye mm-hmm. to these situations that are happening you know yeah absolutely and yeah and I mean yeah, uh, like obviously that opens up a whole whole new can of worms. But you're absolutely <laughs> right. Where this this does apply to to that as well. Like why why do I feel this way? Why am I resistant to this? Why do I like not believe this person mm-hmm. versus this person? You know, am I afraid? Yeah, yeah. Like, am I afraid of black people? Right. Like as a white yeah. person, it's like, are you afraid? Like, what? Where is that? What is what is that coming from? You know, are yeah. you afraid that you're going to be judged or seen as a bad person? Again, that tri- like tribe mentality, right? Like I need to fit in with my tribe. And if I'm a bad person, then I can't fit in with my tribe. And if I admit that I am a racist, then people are going to think I'm a bad person. And then I can't mm-hmm. be my tribe, right? The power of fitting in is one of the most, or the need to fit in is literally, I think, one of the most powerful forces in a human. And I think you can see in these um, with these four officers, one person has is doing the atrocity and the other three are, are watching. Mm-hmm. Those other three might've been feeling like, Hey, we need to do something different or stop this. I don't know if they did, but I know. Yeah, we, don't, we have no way of knowing what they were thinking. Yeah. No way of knowing, but certainly in, in some circumstances, you could find scenarios, say in the Nazi concentration camp where someone feels guilty about what they're doing but they don't stop it because the the fear of not fitting in with their pals is greater than stopping someone from being murdered. Mm-hmm. Think about how crazy that sounds. Yeah, I don't want to be thought of as is lame by my peers. That's stronger than saving someone's life. Mm-hmm. That's like to me that that explains a lot about humanity right there is we are willing to go to extreme lengths to fit in extraordinary lengths yeah, and often do very immoral things to fit in with who we perceive to be our tribe. And it makes perfect sense. Like that's one of the problems with the, with the police, I think is that they are a tribe. Yeah. And when you form a tribe, you can't help but start to feel like it's us versus them. Yeah. And so we need to, we need to see humanity as a single tribe. That would be one way that we could really move forward as a species. Yeah, absolutely. And that just comes for me in my, in my brain, that just comes back to all of us seeing each other as human. Like this is another (laughs) human. (laughs) Yeah. Cause we are. (laughs) Yeah. Cause we're all human. But we don't, when we get in that tribe mentality, there is, there's automatically automatically with we don't even have to do it consciously yeah that we just other ourselves and and others you know us versus them i'm right they're wrong we're we're not a threat this person is a threat these people are a threat you know it's an automatic thing that happens and we have to we have to start questioning those things Mm -hmm. right we have to start questioning and again it doesn't mean that it's going to because you could start questioning that and and be like Oh no, like that's a really good thing and I'm gonna keep doing whatever X whatever X yeah. is, right? Yeah. 
but you can also uncover those blind spots of like, oh my gosh, I've literally been participating in this racist activity that's legitimately harming people. Yeah. I'm, I should probably stop. And I should probably talk to my tribe about stopping too. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's uncomfortable. It's scary, but it's, it's when you, when you have that realization and you have to, you have to, in my mind, it's like you, you have to do something about it at that point, you know, but asking those questions and becoming conscious of what you're even doing in the first place and how you're impacting people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. uh, we could probably keep going. I mean, we could keep going. We could just, we could just, <laughs> we should start live streaming and it'll just be like it, the Justin and Elizabeth show and we'll just do it every single Tuesday. It's fine. <laughs> I think we should. I love, I, I love talking to you. I, love I think you have a beautiful perspective and I love your mission. Um, yeah. the, I think this podcast is great and I just want to, I want to see it grow. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and, and I, I want to see it grow as well, you know, and that, that is that this is my mission in the world is to expand the conversation of love. And for me, this is, this is what it looks like. It's yeah. Cool. That we're, you know, that we're all in this together. So yes, we, we certainly are. Yeah. Can't get away from it. <laughs> Might as well do something about it. Yeah, I mean, I figure, I figure that with life, like we, mm-hmm. we're here, we got to live it. Might as well make it as good as we can make it. Right. Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah, and I just, yeah. I, I, I love having you on the show. I love talking to you just in general, and I just, I love the person that you are in the world, and that you know your mission is around having people be happy and live lives that they love. You know, it, it totally speaks to my heart and soul, and is in complete alignment with my mission. It's no wonder that you're on my show again, and that <laughs> you know that we're friends. That's just, just yeah, it all makes sense. Yeah, it sure does. Well, I feel the same, and I love coming on. And I can't wait to uh, see this thing when it comes out and share it with my friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm going to put in the, so last episode, um, uh, I obviously have in the show notes how to get a hold of you. Um, But do you just want to share how how you can get a hold of you Mm -hmm. on this one? Yeah. I'm on most of the social networks at Justin Blaney. And I have an app. And I have books on Amazon. Um, But yeah. If anybody wants to reach out, I'd love to chat, say hi on the social network or whatever. And uh, I'd love to know you better. Awesome. And yeah, and I will put all of Justin's information in the show notes. So uh, y'all can just go ahead and scroll down and click. So that way you can check out Justin's app and his books. Um, and yeah, please, please say hi to him and also say hi to me on social media. I love it when people reach out to me. I love it. It's like my favorite. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Justin. Yes, thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.